0: So, on my 16th birthday, I came home expecting a typical Weatherford family celebration. Lots of siblings, lots of chaos, laughter, games, storytelling. And the best part is, on your birthday in the Weatherford family, you get to pick what's for dinner. Because usually, you don't have a say when you're from a family of 10. So I came home, excited, announced to my mother what I wanted for dinner, and she said, you're actually not eating dinner here tonight. You're going on a date with your dad. I'm from a family of 10. We don't do dates with our parents because there's too many kids. Honestly, I don't know if I ever had had a time just me and my dad, unless it was like him driving me to a practice, to a doctor's appointment, And usually there was a toddler or somebody else in the car. I was so disappointed. And I know that sounds horrible, like people would do anything to have this special moment with their dad. But that's not what my expectation was. That's not what I wanted. And so it got worse. I had to dress up, and he was taking me to a fancy restaurant which meant it's just going to be uncomfortable, we're going to have to have a conversation. I was 16, and I'm a very talkative person, but my dad's not the person that I'm talkative with. My dad is also a man of few words, and so if he ever said anything, it was usually, hey, don't get the kids riled up. Amy, be quiet. Hey, Amy, go help your mom out. That was our conversations. So now I'm going to have to sit through a dinner with just my dad and I, but it's fine. We'll do it. So soon we are sitting in this Italian restaurant, and it's a multi-course meal, and my poor father, who probably was more uncomfortable than me, and probably as tortured as I was, was doing everything he could to come up with conversation. And every time he would ask me a question to start something, I would as quickly as I could shut it down one-word answer, two-word answer. Because my goal was, if we could get through this meal super fast, I could get home, and then we could have the family fun. So it's about the end, and my father says that they're bringing out dessert. And I was like, okay, we can make it. And he slides this box across the table. A jewelry box. Like, a little ring box. Like, I don't especially 16-year-old Amy Weatherford did not wear lots of jewelry, so I was like, oh, okay. And I opened it. And inside was a gold ring, two hearts entwined with little diamonds. First of all, this is the 90s, and gold was not in unless you were an old lady. Second, I don't like jewelry, and I definitely didn't wear rings. So I in my most insincere gratitude possible, said, oh, that's pretty, thanks. To which I'm thinking, why would my dad give me a ring? Why am I sitting at a dinner with just him and I on my birthday? And then suddenly horror came upon me. This isn't just a ring, it's a purity ring. And I'll explain, for those of you who don't know what a purity ring is, in the early 90s under Grandpa Bush or Bush 41's administration, there was all these, uh, the AIDS scare started arising, and then there was all these STDs, and so the solution was to teach abstinence to abstain from having sexual relations, which is great, because you should be obedient to God. But the Christian culture got all over it and they had what was called the True Love Waits series. And there was this thing. And so in the 90s, it was a big deal for parents to give their teenage daughters or sons. Brian Trius got a ring. He told me that. <laughs> you would get this ring as kind of a statement that, hey, I'm staying sexually pure until my wedding day. And kind of that commitment to keep Sex within the confines of marriage, which God planned. So that's great. I'm happy. That's fine. I'm cool with a purity ring. I was all about it. But it was gold, and it had hearts, and my dad just gave it to me. Because in the 90s, it was cooler to have silver, and it was just kind of like a thicker band, which, that's fine. I got that. But then I started to think, wait a second, if Dad got me a purity ring, then he's going to talk to me about purity. I don't talk to my dad about anything. Really not going to talk to him about purity. And then what if he says that word, sex? I was starting to freak out in my head, and before I could say anything, my dad goes, that's a purity ring. (laughs) Yep. You know what it's for? Mm Mm-hmm. This is our conversations. And if you know my dad, like, this is our conversations. Well, your mom and I, Just want to encourage you not to have sex until you're married. Cool. And that was the rest of our conversation for the night. We finished our dessert. We got into his truck. Talk radio was the only talk that happened. I got home, went straight to my bedroom, made no eye contact with my siblings or my mother because that was the worst birthday ever. It was traumatizing. It was awkward. And my father said sex. Fast forward, last week, mature, older Amy Weatherford is sitting and preparing a talk on gratitude, and as I'm digging in and researching and looking at what gratitude is, I started seeing what ingratitude was, what does it look like to have an ungrateful heart, but that's okay, I was a good kid, I'm a moral kid, I have been living the good Christian kid life my whole life. And what I realize is I have spent most of my life working so hard on being moral and good, man, I wish I would have spent more time working on a heart of gratitude. Because suddenly, my 16th birthday comes back, and I'm, next thing I know, calling my father and saying, hey, Dad. And what's worse is I'm, like, choking back tears, and we aren't emotional people together. Yeah? Yeah? So you remember on my 16th birthday when you took me out to dinner and bought me a ring? Yeah. Thank you? Well, that took you long enough. (laughs) True conversation. And then I proceeded to tell him, like, I really do appreciate it. And enough that, you know, I am nearly 39 and still... My ring got shattered in a door at the high school one day, so I don't have the ring anymore, but imaginarily it's here. Okay, but so I had to call my dad and thank him, and then it started making me think about, if I didn't show much gratitude to my earthly father and to my mother, and they sacrificed a lot, how many times have I missed opportunities to show gratitude to my heavenly father? who did a whole heck of a lot more for me. So, here's the reality. I had a talk planned out on gratitude, and it was a good one, but then God got up in my business. And God made me look at my own life and some symptoms of ingratitude that have shown up in Amy Weatherford's life. And so we're going to talk briefly about gratitude, but we're going to talk a lot about ingratitude and the symptoms that rear up, because then... We can see what are happening, and I'm going to honestly ask you, because I had to do it, you have to too, to take a good look at your own heart. We can say thank you, and we can say we're people of a gratitude or we have a grateful heart, but we need to do some real soul searching because there might be some disease in there that we haven't noticed. So, one of the passages that I was looking at when I started this journey of gratitude was Luke 17, 11 through 14. And then it goes on. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria. They're talking about Jesus. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And they went and they were cleansed. So first part, does anybody in here know what leprosy is? Okay, so we hear a lot about it in the Bible, but basically, and it still is here today. um, I had a coworker whose father was a missionary and went and worked a whole summer in a leprosy colony in Cambodia two years ago. And he was really not scared if he got it or not. But usually it took about 30 years or more for it to fully progress. And so what happens is it first affects your nerves and you will have a lot of pain and then your nerves don't have any sensation. So if your hand is like being burnt or cut or hurt, you're not feeling it. And so a lot of times people will lose limbs, fingers, things like that. But it was awful. And so, especially in times like this, and even today, people with leprosy would have to completely be cut off and isolated, outcast from their lives. And you would have to be really good at yelling loud because people would not want to be around you because of how contagious. And so these people see Jesus, and somehow they've heard about him. And maybe they're asking for healing. Maybe they're just needing food because lepers would need to bar like beg and borrow and steal to get food and so they call out and they say Jesus master have mercy on us so Jesus has mercy on him he heals them so here are these 10 men whose lives have been completely devastated and destroyed they have no life they have no family no people no like they're just slowly watching their bodies decay And they cry out to Jesus, and he says, go to the priest. Because, like, in this time, there was a lot of laws, and, like, with diseases and stuff, you would have to be cleansed, and then you'd go to the priest. And So he says, go to the priest. And so they do. And as they're walking away, they're suddenly cleansed. They're healed. Guys, that's incredible. Christ didn't just heal them physically. He gave them a second chance at life. So the story goes that all 10 returned, said, thank you. They worshiped Jesus, right? Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan, and Jesus answered, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? was no one found to return and give praise to god except this foreigner and he said to him rise and go your way your faith has made you well in in the original greek your faith has saved you and so nine got healing like physical healing one because of his faith experienced true salvation and true life so here's my problem Often, we are the nine. Sometimes we're the one who come back and we give God the glory and the gratitude and the thanksgiving he deserves, but most of the time, we miss those opportunities and we're the nine who just went on our way. Thanks, that's cool, and we move on. Much like 16-year-old Amy with her father. So let's look at gratitude. Gratitude is seeing God for who he truly is and giving him the thanks and glory he alone deserves. So the one did that. But I'm looking at this definition, and man, there's a lot of times I try to take that glory for myself. There's a lot of times I try to do things on my own, and I'm definitely not always seeing him and putting him in his rightful place So if gratitude is seeing God for who he truly is and then giving him that glory and honor and thanks, ingratitude means that we don't acknowledge God for who he is. We don't give him what he deserves. So even in the garden, God has given Adam and Eve this perfect world. He gives them everything they could need, and it wasn't good enough. And that's kind of the root of ingratitude is just sin. It's our sin nature. What God gives us is not good enough. Ingratitude is a lack of proper acknowledgement and appreciation for what God has given us and done for us. It's us taking credit for what God has given us and what God has done. Or us trying to just take his position, rob him of the glory that he deserves, thinking that for some reason, that's okay. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Whether you know Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, whether you believe in God or not, there are signs all over that he is real and he exists and he is the author and creator of all things and his thumbprint is on so many things. So we can be like, oh, I don't know him. But the evidence of him is everywhere, and we don't get an excuse that he doesn't exist. And yet we take images and we put our worship and our thanks and those things and away from immortal God. So, let's look at ingratitude and some of these symptoms. Now, there might be more. I was just kind of diagnosing myself. So comparison, a constant evaluation of how I stack up in comparison to others, like who they are and what they have, and maybe I'm the only one, but there might be a couple more of you who struggle with comparison. We watch others, we see things, we... we, constantly are comparing ourselves with other people, afraid that maybe God has shorted us and given somebody else more. All too often, we don't even pause to thank God for all the amazing, undeserved blessings that he has showered us with. If you struggle with comparison, maybe like me, try reaching out to people who less, have less than you do. Philippians, it was already there. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And a lot of times we compare because we lose sight of what God has done, and we need to put other people, and we need to put God first. So the other symptom I've noticed is entitlement. Getting caught up in what I think I deserve I'm good at this one. As we did the not a fan series, the Pharisees were really good at this one. They deserved these great and mighty things because of how they lived. The moment we start to think that we deserve something is the moment we cease to feel thankful for it. The problem with this thinking is that we don't deserve anything good. Every good gift that God gives us is undeserved and should be should elicit joy and thanksgiving in our hearts. There is nothing good that we truly deserve because of sin. And when we get good things, we shouldn't take it for granted. We should have joy and thanksgiving. When we pause to remember the judgment that we truly deserve and the forgiveness that God has given us through the life and death of his perfect son, Jesus Christ, suddenly entitlement is replaced with true gratitude. Philippians 2, 3 through 11 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he The name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was and deserved and was entitled to everything, and yet stepped down in humility and gave it all, put it all aside, and gave his life for us who was not deserving. So when I'm having those moments of entitlement and I look at what Christ did, it really helps me to start having gratitude because I know what I truly deserve. Busyness. Filling my life with activity in order to prove my importance, my value, or worth. It is hard to slow down to be grateful when we're so busy we can hardly breathe. Busyness is exhausting, and it's difficult to be grateful when you're sp- physically spent. If we are so consistently busy that we have no le- time left to feel and to express gratitude, then we are not in a healthy place. In Luke 10, 38 through 42, Jesus told Martha that in spite of all Martha's busyness with good works, Mary had chosen the better thing, time spent building a relationship with God. God is calling us to, first of all, have a relationship with him, and part of this relationship includes gratitude. If we are too busy to be grateful to God, then all the wonderful things that we might be doing for him are honestly pretty worthless. Take time each day to push pause on all you're doing and simply be with God. You guys got to experience that if you were on the fall retreat of just pausing and going to the Word of God and asking God to speak, just to hear His voice, to be in His Word and see what He has to tell you. And so I'm going to encourage you guys, continue to do that. Don't let that just be something you did on the fall retreat. Have encounters daily with Christ by getting in the Word. Open your Bible and let Him speak to you. Let your times of prayer be filled with praise and thanksgiving. What was happening in here before I came up? Have those moments throughout the day where you are just thanking God and praising Him for His wonderful things that He's done. Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God doesn't want empty busyness and things for him. He wants a heart that is truly thankful. He wants us to come to a place where we see where we are and we put him in his rightful place. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So if we're busy doing things for him, but we're not using that as a time just to praise him and to thank him, then it's emptiness. Insecurity. The worry that what others think lessens the importance of who I am and all I've been given. Insecurity directs our attention on self and away from God. It is really hard to have a heart of gratitude for God and his goodness when he's no longer on the radar because we are too consumed in self. We also lose sight of our true identity and allow ourselves to be defined by others and not the one who created us and knows us best. All that matters is how God defines us. As Christians, our identity and security is found in Christ alone. The more we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we understand our depravity, we understand his perfect righteousness and holiness and how he could not be in fellowship or relationship with us because of that sin, and then that he was willing to have his son die to pay the penalty for our sin, when we understand that, man, that loosens the power of insecurities because we know that we are dearly loved, that Almighty God paid such a price for me. I know my identity is in him, and it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. Remember what Christ did on the cross that he could be in relationship with you. How can we not have a grateful heart when we consider Christ's love for us? Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Anxiety. The concern over things to come or losing what I have makes me forget how to embrace the right now. We can focus so much on what is to come or what might happen that we're missing out on what God's doing here. We're missing out on that fellowship with him right now. Worry about the future quickly sucks the energy out of present gratitude. Worry accomplishes nothing but to rob us of joy and gratitude in this present moment and to demonstrate our lack of trust in our Heavenly Father. If we trust in God to provide our needs, then we must let him do it in his time and his way. There is no need to become trapped in a lifestyle of worry. Worship is the perfect antidote for worry. Worship declares that God is still in control and I will trust him in all circumstances. Worship seeks to glorify God regardless of what happens. Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. Here's the cool part when we hand that anxiety and those anxious thoughts, those worries over, and we just pray and we thank God for who he is, we will be overwhelmed by the peace that he'll give us. And he'll take that worry away and give us that peace of mind. So, these are some of my symptoms that I have found that hang around, and so as you look at this, you might find there might be other things that are causing you to have a heart of ingratitude. Maybe we share some of the same, but honestly, I want you to take that time in these next few days, especially before we go into the holiday season when you have so graciously have days off from school, What is preventing you from truly having a heart of gratitude to your God who has done so much for you? John Piper writes about gratitude and ingratitude, and he says, When gratitude springs up in the human heart toward God, he is magnified as the wealthy source of our blessings. He is acknowledged as giver and benefactor and therefore as glorious, But when gratitude does not spring up in our hearts at God's great goodness to us, it probably means we don't want to pay him any compliments. We don't want to magnify him as our benefactor. And there's a very good reason that human beings by nature don't want to magnify God with thanksgiving or glory or glorify him as their benefactor. The reason is that it detracts from our own glory and all people by nature love their own glory more than the glory of God. At the root of all ingratitude is the love of one's own greatness. For, we gen- for genuine gratitude admits that we are beneficiaries of an unearned bequest. We are, we are cripples leaning on the cross-shaped crutch of Jesus Christ. We are paralytics living a minute by minute in the iron lung of God's mercy. We are children asleep And heaven's stroller. The natural person, apart from any saving grace, hates to think of himself in these images unworthy, beneficiary, cripple, paralytic, a child. They rob him of his glory by giving it all to God. Therefore, while a man loves his own glory and prizes his self sufficiency and hates to think of himself as sin sick and helpless, he will never feel genuine gratitude to the true God. And so we'll never magnify God as he ought, but only himself. Jesus has nothing to do for those who insist they are well. He has come for the sick. He demands something great that we admit that we are not great. This is the bad news if you want to be arrogant. But words of honey to those who have given up their charade of self-sufficiency and are truly seeking God. Bottom line, we have a choice. We can make choices that demonstrate gratitude, God, or we can make choices that show ingratitude. But it is a choice. And I'm hoping that we will be grateful. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You have turned, me, turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me in gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. God, I just pray that you would mess with us, you would get in our business, that you would give us an unsettled restlessness until we really deal with the condition of our heart. And God, as you got up in my business and continue to, I pray that you would show us areas of ingratitude that we've maybe been blinded to. Help us to see who you truly are. Help us to put you in your rightful place and to give you the glory that you alone deserve. We love you, Lord. Amen.